What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a smoothie, protein powder, spinach, and a banana and peanut butter. That sounds delicious. It was. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> Do you normally not make a smoothie? <laughs> I feel like sometimes my smoothies, in theory, they're good. But then when I they come out, I'm like, man, this was not what I thought it was going to be. I miss Jamba Juice. I don't know how they do that. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit through conversations with extraordinary people. We talk about all aspects of life here, imposter syndrome, breaking free from the script, living with intention, boundaries with family, what it means to be vulnerable, and the fact that we're all really just making this up as we go along. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Angelica Petlan. She's a daughter, human resources coordinator at Assemble HR Consulting. And well, from what I understand, your career wasn't always in HR. You recently, well, I mean, semi-recently got into the field. But when I was, I don't even know how I came across this, but I was somehow coming across your, your writing. I think it was on your blog. And you were describing in this one post how in August of 2018, you felt like you couldn't escape this gnawing feeling in your stomach that you weren't where you were supposed to be and that you realized something that enough is enough. And when I read that, my first question was, where were you supposed to be? Mm, good question. I honestly at the time couldn't tell you. I just knew it wasn't where I currently was. I was in a job that, well, in theory, I did it very well and, you know, did everything I needed to do. I was, I went over and beyond. It just felt like something was missing. And I felt like I wanted to be able to make a bigger difference in people's lives on a more personal level. And so I felt like I needed to be somewhere where I could do that and where I could really start to make that impact that I wanted to see. What was it about the situation you were in at the time that you didn't feel like it was a big enough impact you were making? Well, funny enough, I was a 911 dispatcher. And so I was making a difference and I was there for people in some of their darkest days. And I felt like there was just almost like you don't get closure. And that's something that a lot of dispatchers talk about is we hear you and we we start the call, we get help to you. But we never really find out how it ends unless we ask someone or we read it in an event. And so for me, I felt like I wanted to be able to see things through and know how, you know, what happened, what occurred, and be able to have some type of closure. That's got to be really rough, not knowing what happened to that person, especially like you said, they're probably calling in a not a positive situation. Yeah, 90% of the time, it's not positive. Sometimes people just either call 911 for directions, which is kind of funny. Um, Wait, or really? Yes, yeah, they really do. <laughs> <laughs> I would never have guessed that. Yeah, we get calls for directions. We would get calls for, um, you know, sometimes child children would have their, their parents' phone and the parent wouldn't realize or... Fun fact, if you have a phone that isn't actually connected, 
but it still turns on, it will dial 911. So if you give it to your child as a play thing, they can dial 911 and it will go through. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine someone calling 911 for directions. I mean, I just assume like they know, like they didn't accidentally call 911 for directions, like they purposely did. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes people don't know and and sometimes they really mean to call like 311, which is non-emergency or even 411, Mm. but they just dial the first thing that comes to them. So you're a 911 dispatcher, which like you said, I will... I think is someone who's definitely making a big impact. I, I can see the the closure part being unsettling, like you want to know what happens. But I mean, I can't imagine where we'd be without folks like yourself doing that work. What? So you feel like people, or you feel like you can't get closure on sort of what's happening and, and the different people you talk to, and that can be not ideal. But what is it then that like, pushes you was it that alone that made you decide okay i i need to maybe find something else like was that the unsettling part that you couldn't you know you couldn't escape that feeling or was there more to it yeah so i'll be fully transparent you know 911 dispatching is tough in itself but sometimes the work environment can make it even worse and so going into a paramilitary a very hierarchy driven organization it was hard to feel like I could truly make an impact within the organization as well. Um, you know, it's very seniority based. And so sometimes when you would notice things and be like, oh, there might be a better way to do this, it wouldn't really be accepted because, you know, there's always this thought of, well, who are you? You're this, you know, young, I was fresh out of college. Um, and they were like, well, who are you to tell us how to do this? And we've been doing this for years. And so, it was that environment that really almost broke me, to be honest. I really had to refine myself and, and rediscover who I was outside of this job. That's a that's a tough situation to be in. I'm I'm just thinking like I I feel like I've the past couple of years been kind of rediscovering myself and the very first thought you have in my experience is like, who am I? Like who mm-hmm. Especially if you're wrapped up in, or your identity is wrapped up in a profession or a job or a, a title, what what did you do to sort of start to f- find yourself beyond, you know, that the how? What did you do to find yourself beyond being tied to that that job? I honestly had to get lost. I am the daughter of a single mom, and my maternal grandparents helped raise me. But there's also that generational difference in mindset. And growing up, it was always about, you know, put your head down, work hard, your achievements will speak for themselves. And it felt like I had to follow this recipe to success. And I did, you know, I I did everything that you're told to do to be successful. I went to school, I got good grades, I graduated, I had this job that on paper was successful. I made quite a bit of money for somebody my age and was able to be on my own living Uh, at a young age, but off of paper, I was miserable. And so I really had to unlearn everything that I thought about success. I had to be okay with not being traditional, with really taking a a full left off the beaten path and and really just figuring out, okay, what is it that I want to do? Why do I feel this, that feeling of there's something else out there? 
And I honestly got lost. I decided to take some courses at a community college in psychology. And then I thought about my experience in the workplace. And I was like, that that sounds like something I want to do. I want to be able to impact the workplace and, and how people feel there. And that's when I discovered human resources and decided to get my master's in that. When you felt like there was a sense that there was something else out there, did you have a sense of what that something else was that you were looking for? I knew that I wanted to be able to impact people on a deeper level, on a more personal level, but also not just the customer, but the internal customers, which are the employees. And I was trying to figure out how can I make that impact? I my run-ins with human resources were very transactional and operational. So at first I really didn't think they, you know, anything of that that discipline. I was like, okay, well, I see them when I'm hired and when I resign. And it wasn't until I actually did the research in it that I was like, oh, this is something completely different than I've ever experienced. And I want to make sure that more people experience this because I think if I had experienced a human resources like the one I was basically schooled in, my experience would have been way different. And that can have a huge impact on not only the organization, but the individual who's in it. So you sort of felt like I want to I want to impact people in a positive way through sort of being more human with them at, at the workplace. Mm-hmm. I do feel like HR gets a bad rap in general, like <laughs> at your stereotypical workplace HR, like you said, <laughs> when I'm hired or when I resign, or if I have a problem with a coworker or a boss, that's when I'm going to HR, but otherwise it's pretty hands off. Yeah. HR definitely has a bad rap and I would agree with a lot of people that we have a lot of work to do. It's going to be a lot of unlearning as well in the discipline of what we thought HR had to be and what we've experienced. And that's kind of what my goal is for going into HR is to really shake things up and to show people that, like similar to my path, even though you thought you had to do X, Y, and Z to get the solution, it's okay to mix up the equation and and figure out something all new altogether. I love I love how you said you had to get lost to sort of figure out what it was you were looking for. What did getting lost look like? What did that consist of? Oh, it was a lot of hmm, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure if this is the right path. It was a lot of feeling uncomfortable and being very scared a lot of the time because Again, you know, I was I was taught that if I did these steps that I would be happy and successful and it was unlearning the fact that I can choose my own path. I can choose the steps that I want to take and it's okay to fail. I was super scared of failing big time during this journey. I was super paranoid. Um, you know, I've always been really scared about being a statistic because my mom is a single mom. She had me when she was 19, so statistically, I shouldn't be where I am right now. And I always kept that in my mind, like I can't be a statistic. And it took that journey to realize it's okay to fall down and it's okay to quote unquote fail. And it's okay to realize that maybe the the thing that you chose to do wasn't the right thing at the moment, but you can still learn from it. And it, it was a lot of trial and error. It's so true that this realization that what I'm doing now or what I've put a lot of time into might not be the right thing. And that's okay. Like you've tried and 
whether you failed or just not gotten to where you want to go, it's okay to try something else. But I feel like I myself included so often we're like, well, we've been on this path for so long. We might as well keep going because we've been, I guess, invested so much time and resources into it. Mm-hmm. That's definitely how I felt. So you, what were some of the, I'm, I'm picturing you figure out, okay, I don't, think this is where I belong and this isn't what success looks like to me. I need to go get lost and and figure out what success means. What were the biggest challenges you ran into when you sort of said, all right, I'm going to go get uncomfortable. I'm going to go see what resonates for me. I think the biggest challenges were internal, and but also external. So internal was feeling like, I don't know if this is the right path. Am I sure that I'm doing the right thing? It was a constant feeling of self-doubt that really haunted me for a long time as far as, am I sure that I can do this? What if I fail? What if this doesn't work out? And that constant fear. So I was I was dealing with a lot of self-doubt and fear. And then there was the external, which is, you know, your family wants the best for you and they want to make sure you're making the right decision. And so I had, you know, the questions of, well, why would you leave this career? You're making a bunch of money. You were selected out of, you know, 1,600 candidates to go ahead and be in this position. Are you sure this is the right decision? So it was really pushing past the noise that was internal and external to figure out, no, this is the path that I need to be on. And it's okay if it looks a little, a little havoc, like I'm wreaking havoc almost, or if it looks a little unconventional. But this feels good, and I have to keep figuring out what's what's at the end of this path or what's along it, even. That's hard when the people close to you that you love sort of, you know, see it a different way, or they, they have previous beliefs from maybe a, you know, different way of growing up or a different way of defining success. And then, you know, not to necessarily not have their support at all, but to sort of, you know, have that not full alignment. That's really tough. How did you you know, with your family or those close to you, like, how do you, how do you take their perspective into account, but then keep moving forward in the direction you feel inside you is right for you, you know, despite their sort of wanting to hold you back potentially? Mm -hmm. It was hard. I had to really figure out that while I appreciate their thoughts, their concerns and their perspective, that it's okay to disagree with those that you are closest to. I think depending on how you are brought up or your culture or the way that you were raised, it can be very uncomfortable to tell, you know, your elder, your parent um, or parents, I don't agree with you. And so I really had to learn how to do that. And I simply just started speaking up for myself more and more, you know, giving them examples, telling them, hey, this is how I'm feeling right now. And this is not how I want to feel in the next few months. I understand that this is a lot, you know, job is quote unquote successful, but it's not internally successful for me. And, you know, to their credit, once they kind of saw the internal turmoil that was going on, they finally were like, you need to do what's best for you and we support you. So I, I'm very grateful for that. Oh, that's great. What, what's your, um, you mentioned being raised by your mom. What's your relationship with your mom? Has she, like, what kind of inspiration has she been throughout your life? Well, my mom has always been an inspiration. She is somebody who is very strong and she can do a lot more than she gives herself credit for. And so I always just like to watch her and see all the things that she can do. 
she is very funny and just can turn a situation that maybe kind of dismal or seem like it's just not a great situation and she can turn it around with humor. And she's just somebody who kind of beats to her own drum. Um, she does what's best for her and me. She's always kind of put me first and seeing her commitment, it really inspires me throughout my life to stay committed to myself, but also you know, to her as well to make sure that she is in the best position possible. That's amazing. I, I love the smile on your face when you talk <laughs> about her. That's that's amazing. What what sort of what sort of strength do you think you draw from her and in, in watching her? You know, just kind of uh, conquer is the word I'm looking for. Just seeing her conquer and you know become who you know what she wanted to be, as you described. Yeah, I think you know, growing up, we basically grew up together. She had me when she was very young, and so watching her develop all these years, it's been pretty magical. She was basically a young kid, and I've watched her evolve. Whether that's internal, as far as you know, just being open to learning new things. That's the thing that I believe I derive from her the most is always being open. She always taught me from a young age to be open-minded, whether that's to new things, new ideas, or even new people. And she was always welcoming and very open about life. And I really feel I, I derive that from her. I really bring my sense of openness and wanting to invite others into my space and my life from her. That's amazing. It's always great when you have someone that is sort of that guide, whether mm-hmm. you mean for them to be or not, but that you have to look up to and sort of guide you along. Yeah. You had mentioned uh, earlier that sort of the the closure uh, or not getting closure from the people you spoke with on the 911 calls during your time as a dispatcher was really sort of one of the, maybe the deal breakers that kind of made you rethink what you were doing. What did you learn about yourself? Other than that, what did you learn about yourself while you were, because you spent like three years as a dispatcher, right? Mm -hmm. That, as someone who has no experience with that, that seems like a very long time because I I can't imagine the things you heard and the situations you were, you know, injected into and then coming home with that in daily life. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder, it just strikes me as that three years, was there something you learned or some things you learned about yourself that you didn't realize before entering that line of work? Yeah, I learned that I am much stronger than I gave myself credit for. There were many times where things were not going very well. As a dispatcher, you have to make sure that you are typing while you're listening, which is as hard as it sounds sometimes when you're listening to either an officer on the radio or you're listening to somebody on the phone. And there was one time where I had an officer run a car and try to pull it over and it wasn't stopping. And so I'm repeating back what he's saying and and I'm typing and I look at my computer and there's nothing there. I had not typed in the right place. So everything that I was saying was gone. And in that moment, I had to decide, are we going to, you know, have fear be just, you know, face everything and run? Or are we going to have it do be, you know, face everything and rise? And I had to make that decision in about 0.2 seconds, because somebody was on the radio waiting for me. And I decided to do the second one to rise and to overcome it and to figure it out. And I eventually was able to recall all of the information the officer said, which to this day, I still don't know how I did that. 
and type it all out really fast, make an event so that other officers could attach to it because that was the problem. No other officers could attach to this, this call because it wasn't, it didn't exist. And in that moment I realized, wow, like I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. Like I can do this and I can trust myself. I can remember things. I can do hard things. I think that's the biggest thing I learned in that job was I can do hard things and I can do them well. And I just have to give myself a little bit more credit and trust. Oh my gosh. I'm just picturing being in that situation, the adrenaline run. And like, <laughs> I, I think that's so many, I think that's such a great way for people to get some insight into like how they truly are as a person when you're put in that sort of scenario and how you handle it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, some people really calm, some people be just jump bouncing off the walls, freaking out. <laughs> It sounds like you were pretty, you know, more on the calm side, like thinking about, all right, how do I make a, how do I resolve this, and how do I move us forward in this situation? Definitely, that job really forces you to do that. You can't, re- you don't have no one to rely on but yourself, and the officers are relying on you, the public is relying on you, and so in those moments, you really just have to kind of shove the adrenaline into your fingers and type it out and get it done. You said you learned that I can do hard things, which I think is such a great realization. I'm, I'm so happy for you. What were some other hard things you realized you could do? Well, I realized that I can have conversations with people that are very hard. One of the hardest things is being on the phone with somebody when their loved one passed away, whether that was through an accident or a homicide that had just happened. And I learned that one of the hardest things is really understanding the balance between empathy and sympathy. And sometimes people don't need sympathy. They need you to be empathetic and they need you to be present. So I learned that in those moments where life is at the end for some people that I can do the hard thing of showing up and being there for someone who needs it. I also learned that I can do the hard things as far as having hard conversations. And sometimes that meant with the public or with the officers I work with. And it was, you know, establishing that communication and that relationship that really allowed me to grow and understand my own power. I just can't imagine. Again, I go back to three years of, you know, that day. I don't know if you worked every day or, you know, had normal hours, but like just three years of that sort of work. Um, I, I don't know if I could do it, you know, like that's just the part about, I think eventually being that close to some of these situations and, and not being able to, I don't know, maybe you've got to have like a, make sure you're in therapy weekly. Cause just being able to process all that, I think would be really tough. Did you find yourself like having to find anchors and guides to sort of ensure that you were mentally, you know, healthy as you continued in that line of work? Oh, definitely. I am an empath uh, through my personality test. So a lot of these things really hit me hard, whether it was somebody who had just been murdered, or it was a car accident, or somebody who was calling in asking if we knew where their loved one was. And in fact, they were the victim of something and you can't tell them, you just have to you know, pass it along. Yeah, I really did have to reach out for therapy. And I think that's something that's still very taboo in a lot of industries. 
um, you know, there was just the, the general topic of, oh, well, there's the mental health network, the MHN, so go see them if you need help. But we, you know, I really felt like we needed to have more conversations around that because mental health is a big thing and we shouldn't feel like we just have to slink off to the, to the mental health network to kind of just undercover talk about things. We really need to have these conversations in the open, but therapy really helped me understand how to manage my emotions and how to process the events that I worked. I imagine that as someone who, you know, believes I only tried therapy starting a couple of years ago. I, it's one of those things I look back and I'm like, I wish I would have discovered this sooner because it's <laughs> such an amazing tool to help, you know, just guide you through whatever it is, even if it's just everyday life. That's great mm-hmm. to hear. Yeah. So last year, 2020 was quite a year for so many of us. And one of the things I realized for myself is I, 2020 forced evolution and in, in lessons for myself that I don't think would have happened had had COVID not happened and this change in lifestyle happened. Mm-hmm. I'm curious for yourself, 2020 and everything that happened, were there were there things you learned about yourself or or qualities you found about yourself that maybe you wouldn't have had 2020 not ha- happened the way it did? Yeah, I think I realized that I was still holding on to a little bit of fear and self doubt. I never learned how to use LinkedIn. I never learned about networking or business connections until literally May of 2020 when I was finishing my master's degree in human resources and getting ready to make this big transition from not only industries, but the type of work and and where I was coming from. And I stared at this website and thought, what am I doing here? I have no idea what to do. When I, I had a profile for, for many years, but I, it always just made me uncomfortable. I never really learned how to do it. And as I stared at my computer, I kind of had to reason with myself. Are we, again, are we going to let this kind of take over us? Or, you know, am I going to let this just totally bench me and, and keep me from doing what I need to do? And so I had to kind of rise and be okay with making mistakes and putting myself out there, which was hard because I've never done that before on on LinkedIn and social media was putting myself out there authentically completely this is who I am this is why I am going into human resources and this is what I hope to do That's tough too when you're trying to break into a new industry and then of course you know find your your place in that industry that's tough to to come to the table and say, here I am, this is me, I'm just going to be honest, I'm going to be open, I might make mistakes. Because I feel like we're so often expected to be as close to perfect as we possibly can in those scenarios. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And that was something I also had to learn about myself is that my sense of quote unquote perfectionism is stemming from self-doubt and really understanding how to work through that self-doubt and push it into a learning lesson about myself and and overcoming that so that I can be more present in work and in life. Oh, being more present. I'm such a fan of that mantra. I feel like that's one of the big things 2020 gave me was, you know, maybe we don't need to be going so fast all the time. Maybe we don't Mm -hmm. need to be going full speed. We can pause even if we're forced to, but did you feel that way? Like you were going full speed prior to that point in your life? 
Definitely. I felt like I was, I've been going a hundred miles per hour since I was little, just had these goals, going to do it, going to, you know, next goal, next thing. And now 2020 just completely put a roadblock up to my, my speeding vehicle. And I too had to really slow down and take a hard look, take the scenic route on myself. When you look back, are you, and sometimes I feel weird saying this because 2020 was negative for a lot of people, but I do feel grateful for 2020 in the sense that there was so much to be learned and so much growth to be had. Do you feel grateful for that time? Yeah. You know, it is weird to say that, but yes, I do feel grateful. There is that little silver lining in there for me, which I know is a privilege that I don't take lightly. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It is a privilege and, you know, so many of us, yeah, it is a privilege. It's it's weird to think about. Like, I, I think back because, you know, it's February 2021 now and, you know, coming up in March, sort of like the year since sort of the the big lockdown and all that, you know, sort of mm-hmm. COVID times as we know it began, like thinking we're, it's a year, like we're coming up on closer to a year than closer to the beginning. And that's a long time. So I, I often think about that now. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really just surreal to think about the fact that COVID started almost a month now in the feel like it, once it's March 16th, that's when COVID started over here in California. Oh, yeah. And California, I think, was one of the first places I had heard of that went into, you know, a, a lockdown situation where stay at home order, I think. But and I remember um, when that happened, I thought, oh, my gosh, like, this is serious. Like, I wonder what you know, is, is everywhere going to do this? And then all of a sudden, you know, it's spread around and now it's looking back like, oh yeah, this is normal now. But yeah, at that time it was like, oh my God, California is locking down. What's happening? (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely surreal. Surreal is a good way to put it. (laughs) When I, um, I, like I said, I was looking at your website and, you know, reading the blog and I read the, that post, but I also saw you had, um, I don't know if it was your about page or maybe, but you had written that um, you can uh, enthrall audiences with at least one of three things. And one of those things was a story of becoming and unbecoming. And I was curious what you meant by that. Yeah. So for me, my life so far has been a story of becoming who I thought I was going to be and then unbecoming that person and becoming somebody completely different yet so close to who I am, if that makes sense. It, it really taught me about how sometimes we become someone that we think we need to become, yet we don't often think about, is this truly who I am or is this who I thought I had to be? And we don't often learn about unbecoming that person or unlearning. We are constantly kind of pelted with, oh, you need to learn this. You need to learn that. You should be this. You should be that to be successful or happy or, you know, another positive adjective, but we never really hear about it's okay to unlearn things or it's okay to unbecome and find out if that's truly who you want to be. Unbecome. I like, I've I've never thought about it that way. I like that. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) It's like another way of saying I'm going to grow into someone else. I'm going to unbecome what I was and become <laughs> something new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. What? So what I'm trying to get a sense of, so you're 
it sounds like it's during the time of being the dispatcher that you're really starting to feel this idea of, I'm not feeling like this is, you know, I thought this is who I was supposed to become, and now I don't think it is, and I got to figure out who that is. What what was it that you felt like you had become that maybe you realized I didn't want to become? Yeah, I felt like I had really started to become a chameleon. I could be really good in social situations, being whatever you wanted me to be. If you wanted me to be, you know, the paramilitary employee who just agreed with you and went along with anything you said, I would do it. If you wanted me to be the funny person who came in and was just very relaxed and laid back, I could do that too. And I found at the end of certain periods of my life that I was like, well, who is it? you know, who am I exactly? When, when I think of myself, I had really become so much of a chameleon that I had started to lose the real sense of who I was. And it was when I left the dispatching job that that truly hit me because afterwards I really went through this whole period. I wouldn't call it a a depression, but that is honestly what it felt like. It felt like a period of who am I? What am I doing here? I have no clue. I don't know what to do next. And I really had to sit with myself and and realize that I had become so much of a chameleon that I had started to lose myself and who I was. It's when you said like, you know, how did I end up here? Who am I? I, so many previous guests I've had on, on the podcast, have expressed similar sentiment at some point in their life where they just not necessarily woke up one morning, but there was this time or this period of, how did I get here? Why am I here? You know, why mm-hmm. why did I go this way? And maybe I'm supposed to be going a different way. So it's, and myself included, so it's kind of refreshing. I mean, I'm glad that you've, you know, been able to find where you want to go, but it's always refreshing to know like, all right, I'm not the only one that had that fork in the road. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a fork in the road, to say the least. Yeah. So you, it sounds like that time you were able to start to figure out, okay, I'm at this fork in the road and I need to go in a different way. Do you feel like now that you've figured it out, so to speak, or do you, or is it more, I'm on the right path and I, maybe I'll never figure it out, but at least I think I'm going in the right direction now. It's interesting. I was thinking about that. I think so much of our upbringing is almost like we have to get to this destination. Once we get to this destination, we'll be happy. You'll be successful. You'll have money. You'll never worry about anything. And I've realized that sometimes it's it's not about the destination. And for me, I realized that I may never know who the true Angelica is, but I'm going to spend my life figuring it out. And I'm okay with my path not being linear and maybe going over mountains and going into the water. You know, you just never know. And I think that's okay. Uh, and and as long as I know that in my heart and for me, it feels authentic, then that's the path that I'm going to take. And sometimes that path feels really uncomfortable and really scary, but I would rather feel that than to feel like I don't know who I am anymore and I don't feel like, but I know this is not me. You remind me of a past guest, um, Rita Fields. She introduced me to this concept of how life can be a series of trains that you're on. So like Mm. you're on a 
a train for a little while and it takes you from point A to point B. And then that was that train's purpose. And now it's time to hop on the next train. And it's like you said, it's not so much about the destination, but it's about all the journeys these trains take you on and they each serve their own purpose. So I, I love that because it, just like you said, I used to think, as I think we all do, that everything we're doing is on the trajectory of going to this one place or this one goal or this one success Mm -hmm. measurement. And that's all we're doing is working toward that. And it turns out like, well, A, then you miss the journey and all the great (laughs) moments along the way. But then like B, that's just a lot of, like that's a whole life spent for maybe like like gambling on this one hopeful outcome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes that destination is a second and you spent your whole life worrying and beating yourself up and feeling less than for a second. And sometimes that's not worth it. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine when it would be. I'm I'm all about the journey. I'm with you there. So what is, what does, um, you talked a little bit earlier about success what does success mean to you now? What does success look like to you now? Yeah, it's funny. I used to think that success meant that I was making an exorbitant amount of money, that I lived in some big fancy house and you know had everything that I quote unquote wanted. I remember in high school, I thought success would be finally getting a brand new car like my best friend had at the time. And I really wanted a brand new car. I was like, if I can just do that for myself, then I'll be successful. But now for me, success means being at peace. And it's at peace with myself, at peace with where I am in my journey. That doesn't mean that I'm you know, becoming complacent or I don't have any goals. It just means that I can enjoy the moments and not feel like I'm in some constant sprint race for the next thing and the next thing. It's more, I'm at peace with myself. I am at peace with what I have to offer and who I am. And I'm still going to strive for more, but without that feeling of, of almost like anxiety of, I need to be doing more. I need to be doing this. I need to be, there's no more need or should, or I have to, it's, I want to. And that's super important to me. I get the as you were saying that i kind of felt like what i what i hear is for you success is when you sort of truly know who you are and what you know what living feels like to you you're at peace and like you're not chasing after any big excuse me you have you have goals in that but like you know who you are and why you're here and why you're doing what you're doing mhm exactly Oh, that's, I love that definition of success, being at peace. I think that's something we could all strive for. Yeah, I agree. Angelica, thank you so much for for taking the time to chat. This has been just awesome. And I'm a huge fan of the journey you've been through. I'm so happy for you. And I hope that, you know, you continue to, I'm sure there'll be other forks in the road that you're continuing to find that clarity that you've seemingly found, which is great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Before you go, I would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Just send me an email, tim at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks.